Coming up on This Week in Games, more troubling updates from NVIDIA's GeForce Now service. Kickstarter employees decide to unionize. And we say goodbye to the phenomenon that was HQ Trivia. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Aaron McConnell, and this week had too much news. Too much. <laughs> I wish the game industry would normalize big stories. You know, some weeks I'm literally scraping at the bottom of the barrel, and other weeks I have to cut a fourth of the stories because there's too much to cover. And this week was the latter, so we're all lucky, and I can't waste any more time, so let's kick it off. A big GeForce Now update as more news is surfacing for the recently launched cloud gaming platform and service. So last week I reported that after a week on the market, Activision Blizzard has pulled their entire catalog from NVIDIA's new cloud gaming service, GeForce Now. Well, NVIDIA has responded with some PR ninjutsu. <laughs> Bloomberg is reporting that NVIDIA states Activision Blizzard was a beta test partner and thought their deal included that the library of games was going to be available at the initial trial period after launch. NVIDIA states, quote, recognizing the misunderstanding, we removed their games from our service with hope that we can work with them to re-enable these and more in the future, end quote. Um, yeah, that's a great way to make sure Activision Blizzard doesn't look like assholes and you leave it open that maybe they'll want to work with you. Um, I wonder what the true story is. You know, I, I, I'm just going to make this up. I have no inside knowledge either. It's one of two things, in my opinion. Either NVIDIA really didn't make, really did make a stupid mistake, and they actually thought they could launch GeForce Now with games that weren't inked to be on the production server. That's a stupid mistake. Maybe they did it regardless, carelessly. Maybe they did it, you know, not actually knowing it was a mistake. You know, they just hit go live. Um, I don't know, maybe, or the one I'm leaning towards, Activision Blizzard pulled the plug right after launch, seeing terrible numbers, and didn't want NVIDIA to have stats on Activision Games' cloud gaming usage or engagement. You know, data is super important, especially when negotiating exclusivity rights and tons of other things. When you're a publisher, your content, how much people play it, how much people engage with it, it's kind of your lifeblood, right? Um... And knowing how much Activision Blizzard brings to any cloud gaming platform or their exclusivity, which I'll cover later for streaming rights, um, yeah, you don't want NVIDIA to know that on their shitty launch server. And then NVIDIA is like, well, Activision Blizzard had 50 people playing it, um, so they suck. You know, you don't want that to happen, especially because this NVIDIA, like GeForce Now launch, not, not the biggest launch on the planet. Well, not to be outdone, uh, more updates, Bethesda Softworks has pulled the plug on all their games from the GeForce Now library as well. NVIDIA has yet to release a statement on why Bethesda pulled every game, except for strangely Wolfen Wolfenstein Youngblood. Um, both the explanations from Activision Blizzard's removal probably apply here. So either, you know, NVIDIA went live with everything in beta and didn't remove games that weren't inked to go live, or they went live anyways, knowing that the game wasn't supposed to be live, hoping that there'd be some explosive usage and they can negotiate that into signing them. Or they went live and then Bethesda saw abysmal numbers and was like, this is a waste of our time. 
we're not going to let you use our games and your service. All of those could be it. Um, to hide the bad PR, NVIDIA has released a PR statement claiming that GeForce Now has surpassed 1 million users between its free tier and its 90-day trial paid tier. Wildly pulling more allegations out of my ass, I expect Activision Blizzard, who honestly at this point needs to shorten their name because I don't want to say Activision Blizzard for the rest of my life, and Bethesda pulled their games from the service and I expect most of the users who sign up for the trial are not going to stick around afterwards. Stadia has given away free games for paid users, which is a great kind of like engagement and barrier to leave, right? I would expect NVIDIA to give everyone in the trial period like a new game, you know, a new game they didn't own that they can only play on the service to develop some sort of habit or something that makes people like see the benefit of utilizing GeForce Now. I could be wildly wrong on this. But, you know, if you're going to launch a new service, you're not going to be like, hey, you can already play these games on your PC, but now you can launch them on your PC with our launcher. Because how many people are going to have that GeForce portable device? No one. Um, so, but then people do it and they're like, okay, that was cool, but uh, it's a little laggy and I, I can just play it natively on my computer because I already own the game, you know, for my computer. So they really needed to give away games, make... People will come in in a trial period, give them something to stick around for. I don't know, network effects, barriers to leaving, free shit, something. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong. This thing could kill it magically somehow. Anyways, 2020 is shaping up to be the opening rounds of the cloud gaming gold rush. Tencent, Google, and NVIDIA has dipped their toes in the water. Microsoft is expected to plunge headfirst later this year with Project X Cloud. I don't know. It'll probably be 2021, 2022 before A, we see if cloud gaming really sticks around and finds a user base and solves problems that it's meant to solve. Um, and B, if it does stick around and doesn't turn into VR all over again, who's going to be the winner? And I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's going to be Microsoft, but could be wrong. You know, Google has an infinite supply of money to throw at problems. Amazon has yet to kind of come into the game space really they have that mmo coming out i think it's called new world um but you know amazon has infinite money as well who who can tell what they're doing facebook also recently bought a cloud gaming service company who knows what the hell they're doing hell valve could launch a cloud gaming service tomorrow there's so much that could happen wait and see that's all i can say people all right, let's get to some more rumor mill. Um, speaking of what Activision Blizzard exclusivity is worth, the rumor mill, YouTube is reported to have paid $160 million for eSports streaming exclusivity to all Activision Blizzard games. So the eSport Observer has reported that Google locked up Overwatch League, Call of Duty League, and Hearthstone's eSport League and all their event streaming rights for three years for a crisp $160 million. The previous deal that Overwatch had pricey Overwatch League at $90 million for a two-year exclusivity deal. So that's a little bit of an increase. And then, you know, the eSports server is reporting that Call of Duty was the rest of that money and that no one actually cares about Hearthstone <laughs> eSport exclusivity streaming. Honestly, that kind of makes sense. Like, I, I don't know how big Hearthstone is at this point. Remember when the deal was announced, Google Cloud also became the default cloud service provider for Activision Blizzard esports, likely at a heavy <laughs> discount for Activision Blizzard. Um, 
And so another rumor is alleging that Google Cloud, that actual deal was the reason Activision Blizzard pulled out of GeForce Now all of a sudden. So this sounds great, but to put it in kind of like esports into perspective, let's look at my favorite sport. Obviously not one of the biggest sports in the world, but it's very well known uh, MMA. So the UFC was paid $1.5 billion for a five-year deal with ESPN starting in 2018. And then if you go up from there, you have the NHL, college football, NFL, NBA. All of those are much, much, much higher than $1.5 billion for five years. So esports have a long ways to go before they're bringing in professional sports money. But it's still nice to see, you know, $160 million for three years for three games that, you know, Overwatch is one of the most watched esports games. But Call of Duty and Hearthstone, probably not. I mean, I don't have hard numbers. Probably not. Uh, but nice to see all this fetch, $160 million for three years. That's great. All right, next. The Modern Times Group strikes a deal with esports teams to bring them to ESL and DreamHack. Well, they've ar- they were already going, but this is more to lock it down. So MTG has struck a deal with 13 esports teams, such as Fnatic, Evil Geniuses, Team Liquid, and many more. Um, to bring them to the MP- MTG-owned ESL and DreamHack, the deal includes revenue sharing for each team from ESL's Pro Tour events. Before publishers owned entire esports leagues, like Blizzard owned the entire Overwatch leagues, tournaments for like DreamHack or Evo for fighting games ruled the esports scenes, like they were the esports scene. Now with leagues and proper teams, DreamHack and ESL are a little kind of left in the dust, depending on the game you're questioning. So this looks like a proper move to lock down talent and lock down those recognizable teams. Like if you see Fnatic, Evil Geniuses, Team Liquid at an event, you know it's a big event. You know you should probably watch it. Um, you know there's going to be talent on those teams, and those teams are going to be well-funded by those uh, team organizations. Probably the smartest move for circuits like the ESL. Next up, kind of a weird story. So Kickstarter employees decide to unionize. So I've covered employees claiming that they were fired from Kickstarter in an effort Uh, to promote union activity, but it appears that that didn't derail the union to unionize the 37 employees at Kickstarter. Kickstarter employees will join the local 153rd chapter of the Office and Professional Employees International Union, a union of over 100,000 members, and the announcement employee said that there was efforts to increase, quote, transparency for management, guaranteeing equal pay for equal work, implementing more inclusive hiring practices, and giving employees a voice in decision-making process, end quote. In my experience, unions are generally for like really large companies. Traditionally, I think of unions as like factories that make cars and other shit. I don't know. (laughs) Kickstarter doesn't even have 40 employees. So I really question how little transparency could there be at a sub 40 employee company? Like what do you guys just coming into work and you're getting assigned tasks by post-it notes? Like this story is honestly a little weird and strange to me. And it's almost reads and this whole saga reads like one or two employees really wanted to unionize at Kickstarter and decided to just drum up interest until they could get it done. Like, That's what it reads like. I can't imagine. I live in the Bay Area. I can't imagine working for a tech company and then like really just being like, oh, we have to unionize. We don't have enough transparency for our 30 person company. I would I would just leave and go to another company. It it doesn't really make sense. Um, But they did it. So I, I, I honestly this is kind of a lab experience. It's kind of like the first 
a North American game industry s company that unionized so i'm curious to see employees maybe do a follow-up in a few months six months maybe a year to see how the union has impacted working environments what they got done how much did they pay for dues like what are the negative consequences they didn't think about what are the positive ones i'm curious to see that all right, uh, more cloud gaming news. Google Stadia realizes that no one owns Pixel phones and releases Stadia to 19 more Android mobile phones. So Stadia launched the three Google Pixel mobile phone models as the only mobile phone options for the platform. Google now opened up Stadia to include uh, models from Samsung and Razer. Not much to say about the story of Stadia news is kind of been in the dark lately. I assume the free tier is coming up at some point in 2020, but Stadia... At the moment, looks borderline dead to me. Uh, did Google think that the product was so hot that they could arrogantly release it only to Pixel phones? Like, as far as I know, Pixel phones don't even hold, barely hold single-digit penetration in the Android hardware market. It's weird that they only released the Pixel phones. I doubt Stadia, like, didn't work on Galaxy phones. It's almost, you know, like. Looking at it, to me, it looks like they held back on supporting these other models, and now it's almost too little, too late. They could go back in time. I, I would have imagined, like, Stadia should have released their free tier at launch and released it to over 50 phones at once, any phone that had the specs to support it, and they should have said, like, bam, revolution. But they didn't, and, you know, trickling out more phone support at this point and other stuff, like... I don't know, product platform launches don't really work that way. You don't do a big like launch and then go, oops, we fucked up, and then slowly build up Steam. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where Stadia goes from here. Google has serious work to do if Stadia is ever going to be, um, you know, in the same realm as Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. That being said, again, I mentioned above, Google has endless pocketbooks and could just like buy Ubisoft tomorrow. You know, Google could by an entire publisher, entire AAA publisher. So if they get serious about it, maybe, maybe they just keep releasing this stuff. Maybe they keep ramping up the service and then it hits some internal checkpoint and they go, ha ha, we've checked all the check marks. This thing's perfect. Let's throw $50 billion at this and dominate the game industry. Like that, that could happen. I don't know what's going on over there, but uh, so weird. So weird to just randomly be like, oh yeah, we fucked up. Here's uh, 19 more phones that we support. I don't know. More Google news. This is a better one. Google launches a lightweight HTML5 game platform called Game Snacks. This is positive. It's cute. I love it. Uh, I remember this at Area 120 when I worked at Google. Game Snack aims to provide, to provide HTML5 games on a platform for low-end devices, probably like feature phones in countries uh, that are lower economic GDP. I don't know how else to say it. So like India, Indonesia, a lot of Southeast Asia. Game Snacks loads games in around three seconds. It doesn't require powerful hardware or expansive memory to hold the games. They're just downloaded, played, released. This would be a great platform for students or indie developers to work on and release games on that are just starting out and want to get their like beaks wet. So anyone listening to this who thinks like, hey, I want to be an indie developer. I want to start releasing games. I strongly recommend HTML5 platforms. HTML5, super easy to learn. The game requirements are just like one mechanic, fun games. Like fun is the name of the game on these platforms. Uh, go give a shot. Google also partnered with Gojek, 
um, to bring game snacks to Southeast Asia where feature phones are more prevalent and HTML5 platforms such as Facebook Messenger games thrive. So that's a positive Google story. So you don't shit on Google all the time. I just enjoy shitting on Google. So it seems like I do it more often than I should. All right, last bit of news. PlayStation and Facebook are pulling back GDC preference presence over coronavirus concerns. So this sucks. Um, Looks like GDC will be missing two big players as the coronavirus poses too much of a risk for PlayStation and Facebook. Health concerns have been cited as many big companies are kind of pulling back on conferences, expos, and conventions, both in and out of the game industry uh, for concerns of the coronavirus. I know PAX is going on or just went on, and I think PlayStation pulled out of that as well as some other companies. Facebook's Oculus will still be present, and they claim to have some big announcement and news, so be interesting to check it out. Um, I will be at GDC for the entire week, however. I'll be at the summits, the main conference. I live a few blocks from the Moscone Center. Hopefully no health-related concerns will occur for the conference, because I'll be <laughs> knee-deep in it, so... Let's, uh, if you're showing up, let's all just be healthy, I guess. All right, let's get to the business news. A lot of business news this week. First off, T- former THQ Nordic, now called the Embracer Group. The Embracer Group makes two acquisitions in a single day. What is wrong with these people? Like, like these people, this is like the most acquisitions I've ever covered for a single company in the over two years I've been doing this podcast. So I have to assume the Embracer ba- Group Embracer Group owns a money printing machine at this point as they made two ac- big acquisitions this week. The first, the Embracer Group acquires Saber Interactive for $150 million up front and another $375 million over three years if performance metrics are hit. This makes the deal worth potentially $525 million. Now, they only recently raised a little over $200 million for acquisitions. So I don't even know where that extra $375 million is coming from for hitting performance metrics. Saber Interactive is most known for their World War Z game. But also, if you look on look at them up online, they have a slew of fairly successful licensed IP games under their belts. And it's reported that they have 600 employees. Pretty crazy. The second acquisition, the Embracer Group acquires France-based Voxler. Now, Voxler as a name, you probably, you're like, what? Does that mean Voxel? No, 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 no. These are actually pretty famous developers. They're the developers behind the hit Let's Sing series, as well as a bunch of other like karaoke franchises. So they kind of cornered the karaoke market in the game industry. The dollar amount for this acquisition is currently unknown at the time. So this brings the Embracer Group to over 31 studios across the world, over 2,000 employees, likely the highest of any single parent holding company in the game industry as far as studios goes. And I've already said so much about this company, literally a sleeping giant. That is unknown to the everyday masses, but it's starting to rival Tencent in overall investment dollars in the game industry. I honestly expect the Embracer Group to outright, uh, you know, just start to take over. I don't know what they're doing. Like, they own so much, and now they're getting, you know, they started off, like, buying, um, buying, like, dead THQ franchises and, like, really smaller stuff or, like, dead IP that's not being used. Now they're making $525 million acquisitions. Like, this thing is just snowballing. I mean, what what's next for them? And I'd really like to see what their next fundraising round, what they're being evaluated at from outside investors like private equity companies or 
I, I assume at this point they're beyond VC companies. Very strange, but very awesome. Keep it up, Embracer Group. All right, Tempo Storm, an esports team, closes $3.3 million fundraising round. So I rarely cover esports teams anymore for fundraising or news. I really don't have heavy interest in esports from a team or player basis, but this was an interesting break. So Tempo Storm wants to expand from an esports team into game development and interactive media. The lead investor will utilize, oh, I don't even know why I included this, so lame. The lead investor will utilize the EOS.io blockchain to pay them. And I haven't said the word blockchain in a while. And Tempo has announced their first game, a deck builder called The Bazaar. So everyone probably hears that. They're like, whatever, some esports team wants to kind of try to make games. However, I will warn everyone, this has the potential to be incredibly interesting. And why is that? So there's a giant problem going on in Hollywood right now where a lot of the big talent agencies who have access and connections in the industry and they kind of like own the access to all the talent in the industries, we're turning into private equity firms that own production companies as well as represented talent. So they effectively created non-competitive environments where they were the funders of like films and television shows, the production companies, but also negotiated the talent fees on behalf of their own talent. So it made it quite an anti-competitive environment that's kind of getting forced to be broken up. And I think the writers all, I think it was writers, they all threatened to go on strike at once or fire their agents at once. And I think they did because, uh, you know, if your, your agent is also the funder of the project and the production company, they have an interest in not paying you your fair due, but they also somehow represent you. And then if you quit working for them representing you, then you lose access to all those connections and potential jobs. So it's kind of like a detrimental cycle going on. Well, esports management and teams could also become the same thing. Like they have access to players. They have access to Twitch personalities, streamers. Now they just need to own development and distribution so really keep an eye on this concept and see if it gains any legs in the future. And go check out uh, stories of what's going on in Hollywood with the giant talent agencies and a bunch of other stuff. Pretty interesting. I heard, uh, I think it was either Planet Money or The Indicator, one of those NPR uh, economics podcasts on it. So go check that out. All right. A few more stories and then we're done. Not to be outdone, Jordanian developer, mobile publisher, Tomatim raises $3.5 million in a second Series A. So the rare second Series A two years after the initial Series A, I guess. Um, Tomatim looks to increase its presence in the Middle East and North Africa and claims over 3 million users in the Arabic markets. So I always want to encourage, especially publishers who are bringing, trying to publish games that are popular in other regions to regions that are underserved, especially like the Middle East and North Africa, Keep on keeping on, man. Like, the more global we can become a game community, the better we share ideas, we learn ideas from everyone else. Um, all great. Good job. Not good job. Kixi, the former loud child of social gaming, lays off 20 employees. So, not much to report here. I just like negative news about Kixi. Uh, this love stems from their 2012 campaign video that you can look up online where they Came off pretty arrogant. <laughs> the layoffs were initiated by parent company Stillfront Group. Reading the interview from Stillfront CEO, it just comes as a cost-coming measure. Makes sense. I expect 
probably, unless Kick'Eye can deliver a new hit game, their studio is probably in threat of being shut down, and game maintenance and life support will be handed off to a new group somewhere that isn't San Francisco, the most expensive city in the world. Like at this point, I think the article said they had four games up and running. I don't know. Like, what do you do? What do you do when you buy a company really just for their IP and their recurring revenue? Um, and they're operating out of San Francisco. So expensive. It's rough. It's rough. I don't know. <laughs> More news. More news from the craziest saga in reach, recent financial news. Starbreeze is launching a new Series A to raise $5 million, but is giving away 30% of their voting shares to do so. So Starbreeze, who can't seem to stay out of the news at all, is betting the farm on Payday 3 needs $5 million to do it. The Swedish developer will be issuing over 32 million new Class A shares meaning they will have voting rights. To raise over $5 million, the new shares represent nearly 10% of total ownership of the company, but I guess since all the new shares are Class A, they represent 30% of voting shares. So I guess when I say total ownership, that means like if the company sold for, if you have all these shares, let's say you have 10% of total ownership and the company sold to another company for $100 million, you get $10 million, right? Uh, 30% of voting shares means you just need 21% more voting shares and you can force the company to do pretty much whatever you want. Fire the CEO, like fire everyone, merge with companies. Digital Bros, which I covered earlier, a publisher behind the Payday series, acquired 30% of voting shares from Smilegate. And when I said earlier, I covered this like a few weeks ago. So Digital Bros bought Smilegates. They own 10% of voting shares and they bought Smilegates 30% of voting shares, and they now hold 40% of voting shares. So when Starbreeze is selling these new shares, uh, Swedish investment banks and funds and other stuff seem to have first rights to the new shares, but it's unclear to me, because I don't really know Swedish investment banking, um, if anything is in place to stop a company like Digital Bros from acquiring 11% more shares to completely own the company. So Digital Bros doesn't even need to pay $5 million for the rest of the 30%. They just need to get their hands on 11% more shares, and then they pretty much, like I said, could bully the company around, do whatever they want with Starbreeze. Really a mess for Starbreeze. A lot of stars need to align for the studio to be both in good financial shape to reap the rewards from Payday 3, but also to make and deliver Payday 3 on time as promised. We'll have to see what happens with the studio. And last story of the week... Hot flash in the pan, HQ trivia shuts down. So first scene on the scene with momentum, like honestly, I've never seen before, only to fade into this obscurity almost as fast. HQ trivia is no more. The 25 employees that were left at the company have been laid off. HQ trivia hit the scene in 2017 and effectively took over the daily time slots that they had their quizzes. I think they had two during weekdays and one during weekends. I was at Zynga San Diego at the time when HQ Trivia launched, and we would gather around in a group, you know, ranging from like a group of five to all the way up to like at one point we had like 20 people, I think, all around. We would answer questions, and then when we all got whittled down, we'd kind of work together as a team, divide and conquer answer choices if we didn't honestly know the exact answer. I won one time, I think I won like $6. Someone else won pretty early on in HQ Trivia's history. I think they got like $50. It was amazing. Like I I think it was, it was something like I've never seen before. 
and I think the death of the co-founder and CEO was a big blow to the company. It really was a revolutionary idea, like bring the entirety of North America together twice a day for trivia with large cash prizes and celebrity host and all this stuff. I suppose the users didn't stick around long enough, maybe, and the advertising they had didn't outweigh the likely massive server costs it took to run each quiz because it live-streamed the quiz to you and had all this attempted to have all the safety checks because you know you can like answer questions and stuff like that along with the prize money i'm sure the prize money wasn't the big cost i suppose bringing people together in the real world is one of the greatest achievements a game company can achieve so in that light hq trivia was actually a massive success and i really think mm, there's something to it you know before like video streaming became a thing I remember like people would watch, you know, a single show once a week. Like I don't want to say Friends, but like Friends is one of those like giant shows, right? Like people would watch Friends and then talk about it the next day at work. And HQ Trivia kind of became the gaming equivalent of that. Like people would play HQ Trivia at lunch and then talk about it a bit afterwards and it brought all these people together who I mean, who can't play a quiz game? Who can't select one of three or four answers? So it really was a massive success and a really special thing. And yes, it died. It didn't succeed. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that it wasn't like something miraculous and the idea didn't have warrant. So again, HQ Trivia shuts down. But uh, man, like what a success. Like it, it'll still be a cliff note in the history of gaming and mobile apps and everything to this day. So great job guys all right that's it for this week in games if you like what you hear please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app also leave me a comment let me know how i'm doing rate me five stars or whatever you do on the app to rate people you can also email me at eric at thisweekingames.com if you have any comments or suggestions on future stories all right that's it for this week in games i'm Merritt mcconnell i'll see you guys next week take care bye